Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, how have you been, buddy? Uh, not bad. Not as bad. I mean, much better than the team that I'm covering right now. I can tell you that much. I mean, this is rock bottom up here right now for uh, for the team up in Tallahassee. If anybody's been watching college football recently, so you know, let's see. Let's see how that goes the rest of the season. But anyway, but the Marlins is our team that we talk about on this pod. And your Gators, man, boy, was that close putting a scare into the uh, into the top team, the team that's still the top team in the country, really. But I mean, down to the wire. What was that clock situation about? Yeah, I anything that's gonna come in surprise is not gonna be a surprise anymore to me. But that was. A great game. Watched most of it at the ballpark. That missed extra point early after that first touchdown. Put them in the position they had to get go for two at the end and just missed it there. But again, <laughs> they were within a touchdown each of the last two times they played Alabama. Let's see if there's a repeat in December. Tell you what, you know, <laughs> you only lose by two after a certain other South Florida team uh, didn't even have a prayer of a chance again when they played Alabama. But hey, let's go on to baseball. Yeah, let's go on to baseball. And this is going to be a very personal episode. It's going to be a tough one to talk about at times, especially hearing from some people who we're going to have playing some interviews later on. But this upcoming Saturday, September 25th, it's the five-year anniversary since Jose Fernandez's death back in 2016. Uh, and obviously the personal side of it is the important part of it. It's just it's tough to fathom that it's been five years. I mean, I was still in college. I was still my senior year at UF driving back from covering a UF Tennessee game when I heard the news. And I still remember that day like yesterday. Dre, you were here when, through Jose's journey journey with the Marlins end that day, just, I want to let you take the floor for Moses because you have a closer experience than I do. But just what was your recollection of just the journey of watching Jose through his time with the Marlins and then that day? Well, just starting with the, the, the baseball journey and his life, I mean, I covered his last start and I still remember thinking at the time it was going to be his last start of that season. And man, did I, did he still have so much upside, you know, and we were thinking he's just scratching the surface. I mean, one thing we always used to write back then was how good he was at home and how kind of human he was on the road. But we kind of figured, you know, in time he'll get better. It'll even out a bit, just the electric, but it was more than just the pitcher. It was, you know, the, the personality, the, the the vibe that he gave when he was out there. He was the main event. He was the main event. I mean, it, it, people came, even if the, at the time you weren't coming to see the Marlins per se, just wanted to come watch baseball, you came on that night. And that's something that I, you know, you still haven't seen this franchise really have is that main event guy especially a pitcher that can do it every few days. It's like, it's that start, you know, some teams have multiple pitchers or, you know, say it's the Dodgers or somebody where you're rolling out shirts or in Kershaw and, and everyone else, you know, night after night, but the Marlins had Jose and the community was so attached to him, especially the Cuban community, myself being 
half Cuban, you know, on my father's side, you know, I know how special his story resonated with people, you know, with my family and, and, and growing up with, you know, I was raised by my grandparents, my father's parents. So I know I didn't, I didn't live the struggle of, of Cubans, but I know the history and what people have been through. So seeing Jose's journey to Miami, the way it was, you know, the story of how he saved his mom and, and, and fleeing the government over there, everything like that. It just made him such an endearing person to the community. And then the circumstances surrounding his death were just, you know, so just sad to see because God, I mean, it's like one moment cost three lives, not just his, but three lives. And it's just so, it was just so sad. I mean, I know you wanted me to talk mostly about just the way he was and the, and just the dynamic personality he was, you know, I know we're going to get, we're going to get into all these layers little by little as we talk about it, but I mean, just from the player himself, in this town, I haven't seen somebody, especially on the Marlins, that had that kind of charisma. I mean, right now they have a, you know, you see Jazz Chisholm, he's got that that vibe and that personality and whatnot. And maybe at some point you, he'll get to the point where he's that kind of a star for this team, but they lost someone special. If we even want to just talk about it, I know he's kind of become a little bit of a polarizing figure because of how what happened that night. But just in the baseball sense, man, like they haven't had anything even close to 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 what he brought on the mound, you know, night in and night out for them. Yeah, I mean, we just looked through the numbers again. It was there from 2013 to 2016, 76 starts, 258 ERA, all-star both his rookie year in 2013, his last year in 2016. 253 strikeouts that 2016 season, still the Marlins single season record. And on that personal side, again, I interned with the Herald back in 2016, that final year. I was there up until more or less late July. Somehow never covered a Jose start, despite how many Marlins games I covered. It always seemed like I would get a two-game stretch, a three-game stretch, and the last start would be the day before Jose Day. Yeah. But still, just the few interactions I had in the clubhouse, they were minimal at best. But I still remember one, there was a scheduling snafu. I ended up having to come in to cover a game when I wasn't sure if I was supposed to or not. And coming to the clubhouse late and had a lot of things going on, just emotionally, family stuff. I remember Jose walking up and just patting me on the back going, hey, buddy, everything all right? And just... The mood, yeah. my mood made a complete 180. He was just like, <laughs> just the aura and just that positive vibe he had around him. It was just, it was hard to replicate. It's hard to really describe, but it was, it was something that it was a, it was something that was just able to resonate with the crowd, get resonate with the fans. It was something that, as you said, he was a guy who, both with what he did on the mound and being able to throw 95, 96 and have that curveball that just, I still don't know how people are able to hit, but between that and the personality factor while he was with the Marlins, it was, it was a rare, it was one of those rare combos that you don't see often. Well, that, that was my first year on the beat. Um, when, when I finally was, I mean, I had done 
spot duty here and there over the years, but finally had, had really jumped on it with Clark Spencer at the time. And my regret was that after it happened, because I felt like that year, I mean, I talked to him a few times that year and you're right. Like he had that, it didn't matter. I was, the, I was the rookie, you know, and, and he still, you know, was always high energy and always, he was one of the guys too, that even if he had a crappy start, he talked, you know what I mean? Like he didn't, he talked and he would tell us always like, I'm good, you know, let's go guys, you know, shoot, you know, say, you know, didn't back off from stuff to, from questions. If he, if he pitched bad, he, he owned up to it. And just the personality, I could tell from watching him interact with the veterans on the beat, like, like, like Joe, like, like, like Clark, the kind of rapport he had with him. And I felt, and I, I said regret before, meaning I felt like, wow, I'm going to get to probably cover this guy's best years if I stick to this beat for a while, which I ended up doing for a few more years after that. And then September 25th happens and it's suddenly just gone. And that, that, that was, I mean, that, I'll, I'll go off your cue of which layers you want to talk about this, but I know at some point we're going to get to that day. I don't know if you want me to jump into that right now. Yeah. I feel like we might as well just hop right into it. Just yeah. that day. When did you find out? I know again, the Herald, you guys, we were on top of it. You guys, I say we, I wasn't with the Herald at that point, but just your recollection when, well, when here, news, here, when yeah. news happened. Yeah. <laughs> when stuff like, well, when stuff, when crazy stuff happens in your life, whether it's sports related or not, you always kind of remember the details even more vividly, obviously than, than normal. It was 9 a.m. and I'm getting ready to go to a Dolphins game that day. Dolphins were playing the Browns. This shows you all the details I remember. They were playing the Browns. That was the game that Cody Parkey missed a bunch of field goals for Cleveland, and the Dolphins were able to to pull it out. And I think it was like the one win they had. That was the, the the really bad year before it turned around for them. Anyway, I was supposed to do a sidebar that day, so I'm I'm having my breakfast there on the couch and kind of getting in that football mode and all that. And, you know, guy who's like a brother to me, Manny Navarro, texts me and it just says, Jose Fernandez dead, boating accident. And it's one of those where you look at it and I had no reaction in in that split second because I'm like, wait, what? And then at the same time, it's like, first off, Manny wouldn't kid about something that like that you know what i mean like you wouldn't you kid about a lot of things but not something like that and then you still don't believe it because you're like hold on hold on. that doesn't compute wait what so there was a bit of that followed by oh my god like you, you know and then and then the next reaction was i mean i i i i not, not, not embarrassed to admit I cried because I was like, because it was just, it was just the, not that I was that close to him, but it's just a shock value of how tragic. I didn't even know, obviously we didn't even know the details around it, but you're like, this can't be happening type of thing. And the fact that we had covered him for that year and we had that kind of, you know, working reporter player interaction and everything else that we talked about before, as the day went on, 
the emotion added up. And then I remember just thinking, I have to get to the ballpark. I, you know, I have to do so. I have to jump in. I have to do something to help out because this is going to be crazy and not in a good way. And immediately, like my boss at the time, you know, well, your boss still now, or, or was your boss until recently, Alex Mena was like, no, 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 you're not going to the Dolphins game, head down there. Anyway, skipping ahead, I barely could keep it together watching the press conference, watching, watching Don Mattingly break down got me because I grew up, and I've put this in writing, I grew up, you know, you keep your professional distance and whatnot, but I grew up admiring Don Mattingly as a player for the Yankees. He was one of my, you know, boyhood favorites. And seeing him like that showed how, how much this was going to be, you know, just tearing your heart out because he was like, the, he was the heart and soul of this, of that team. And even now I'm talking about it and it's like, wow, you know, I mean, it's amazing that it's only been, it it feels like it's been even longer than five years sometimes, but then there's other times where it does feel like it just happened not that long ago because you're like, wow, that, you know, that day was just, it, it completely changed them. And, and, you know, and and then again, I'm jumping ahead, but that's another layer that we'll talk about is just how much it changed them. But I, I just remember that I've never experienced something like that before and luckily since and hope I don't ever again because obviously that's circumstances that you don't want to ever see as someone so young and 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 let's not forget also the people that were in the boat with him as well you know died like that yeah and just for those who don't know the story or haven't heard uh the more that morning uh September 25th 2016 Uh, Jose Fernandez was on his boat uh, named Caught Looking uh, with two passengers, uh, Emilio Macias, who was 27, and Eduardo Rivero, who was 25. Uh, The boat in the early early hours of September 25th uh, crashed into a jetty off government cut. Uh, All three had been drinking a report from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission ultimately found that uh, that through their report that they could, they said Jose was behind the wheel. And they also said that he had cocaine in his system when it happened. That's that part is one that uh, Jose Fernandez's family still adamantly disputes. Uh, there's a lot of still, even though the legal part of it was settled a couple years back, they're still adamant that a few parts of the, uh, FWC's report was either fabricated or improperly done or just incorrect. But that's also another time for another day there. But when you got the details, Andre, I know that was when you said that you heard news didn't know the details. When the details came out, just what was the reaction then? I know that was a couple months after the fact. I mean, disappointed in a way. Because it's like when, I mean, again, it's not, I know a lot of people idolized him a lot more than I did for reasons I mentioned earlier, but you still, you regret that something like that 
tarnishes what you remember of them in a way. I'm not saying it totally tarnishes them. I, I, I'm still of the, you know, I, I, I still, it didn't ruin him for me. Like, cause I don't know exactly what happened. Like the same thing you're saying, the disputes, there's certain facts, what he did, unfortunately was what tarnishes that the fact that he was behind the wheel doing something like that. I don't know how far back it went. Probably never know that, but God, it's like, all the positives I said before, and then that is kind of that stain on it. You know what I mean? And the fact that it cost his life and two others, you can't dismiss that. You know what I mean? And I understand I understand at least why for some people that ruined him forever. And, and, and that's what I meant by polarizing figure, because there's still a lot of people that remember him and, still admire him for the positives as a baseball player, as a Cuban, as a, as a Cuban, as a person. But at the same time, he made a mistake. He made, he made, he definitely at least made a mistake that night for sure. A caught a deadly mistake and God, the impact it's had. And we're not, I'm not even talking about the baseball impact. I'm talking about the, the impact on those families on his own and, and, and two others. It's still just even as even as his little girl who was without him is going to be without him the rest of her life. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's really sad. It's really sad. So that that was my reaction was just kind of disappointment that something that he did something like that. We all make mistakes in life. And unfortunately, sometimes they can have insane, insanely bad consequences and his did on that night. Yeah. And that would be a good time to mention uh, Wednesday in the Miami Herald, we're going to have a package of stories uh, reflecting on the five-year anniversary from a multitude of perspectives. Uh, Michelle Kaufman wrote a beautiful piece. She spoke with Jose's mom, Maritza for a pretty long time. She was at uh, Maritza's house for a few hours or last week. And got to just talk with her about what it's, what these last five years have been like. Uh, David Ovalle, one of our Metro reporters, uh, did an update on the legal standing of where the court cases were and also checked in on the other two families. And uh, Greg Cody wrote a column reflecting on everything. And I also and I took a look at the baseball side, the just how the Marlins five years later, after losing their ace, the guy who was supposed to be the person they can build a team around, even if it was only for a couple of years, and we'll touch on that in a second, just mm. how the the ripple effect from <coughs> his death from this accident is still being felt five years later, a new ownership group, and just a lot of things on the field that shows how one person, just the domino effect that it sets off. Yeah. So. Well, and- and another thing too, uh, to touch on two little things before we move to the next part of this, mm-hmm. there you talked, you asked me about reactions too. The, the 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 reaction two days later when they got back to the field too, yeah, that's another unfor- unforgettable night when D hit the home run, the emotions, and then personally for me, going into that locker room, being the first one to go into the locker room in the clubhouse is something I'm never going to forget everyone at their locker 
when have you ever gone in there and everyone is at their locker? That never happens. Someone's getting treatment. Someone's in the shower. You know what I mean? Like someone's already gone home. No, every single player was at their locker. And with what? With a beer bottle or the champagne bottle, I'm sorry, in hand. Because they had toasted to his memory. And, and then to boot, finding out that Marcelo Zuna could have been on that boat too had he yeah. chosen to go out with him when I wrote that story. that When I heard that part, it was even more combining what we just talked about, about the, my God, like, it really. And then later on when the circumstances were, you know, came to light and thinking, God, Marcel would have been on there too. Yeah. And then again, you see the game, you see D Gordon hit the home, hit the leadoff home run, everyone wearing his number that game. The emotion. I still remember watching that game from, from my dorm in Gainesville. And as soon as D hit that home run, I, Again, this yeah. was that was that hit hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I I, I was tweeting it, and again, <laughs> like like my screen was getting blurry. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when you take the step back from the baseball side of it, now uh, a lot has changed between then and now. I mean, you look at the Marlins roster. There's one player left from that 2016 team hmm. in Miguel Rojas. Don Mattingly was 2016 was his first year as manager. He comes into the situation after being the manager of the Dodgers. He sees a roster he has a hand and thinks, okay, there might there's pieces to work here here with. Obviously you had the outfield of Giancarlo Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich, you had JT Riomuto budding as becoming a budding catcher. You had Again, you had Jose, the lead of rotation, and basically the thought of who knows what could happen. And then after his first year, it basically takes that 180. You And they try to do what they can in 2017 to try to build around who they have. They make a few signings to try to flesh out the rotation, try to get some arms. But again, there was no replacing what Jose could bring physically on the mound after that 2017 season, uh, new ownership group takes over Derek Jeter, Bruce Sherman group, and they basically start the next rebuild. We yeah. all know the history of the trades, everybody basically getting shipped off for prospects to build everything from the ground up. And yeah. you're seeing some flashes now of what could be, but there's also still, it's that perpetual repeat get close, get close, and then start over. And oh, this basically yeah. ex- this sped up what, what ended up happening. They weren't the same anymore in 2017. No. And I always go back to, I can't remember right now who interviewed him, but when Christian Yelich basically said that they weren't the same after he had left, when once he was in Milwaukee, he talked about it a little bit. And their heart was cut out. I mean, that, that plain and simple. That that were they were done in 2017. They were kind of. It was not the same. I mean, and I even wrote it for the Athletic at the time when it hit two years, the ripple effect it had on baseball because all of a sudden Yelich was on his MVP tear, you know, with Milwaukee. Stanton had just gone to the Yankees, and he was coming off the MVP in 17. And you think to yourself, 
you know, look at look at what this has done throughout baseball. You know, the, all the pieces have scattered, and and you mentioned it now. You, you recapped it right now with with Riamuto. But the bottom line is, it, it completely changed the franchise. And I think, and the Athletic also wrote about it in retrospect. It was Jason Stark did something, if I'm not mistaken, um, from talking to Scott Boris mm-hmm. about could Jose have been you know, the $300 million pitcher or higher. I think he put a, there was a big figure that, that they speculated, like how much would he have gotten paid once he got to that, you know, to that point, like past arbitration where something would have happened. But in the meantime, say he wouldn't have stayed, say he would have lived and he wouldn't have stayed here. How do they make a run? If they keep all those pieces together for like two, three more years, do they at least make that run in there? Does does Je- does Jeffrey Lorio take a little longer to sell? You know what I mean? Like like what does Jeter still in, in a position to buy the team? Like there's a lot of little things where you wonder. Maybe the timeline's off by a bit, and and some of that still happens. But the the main thing would have been: Did that group have a chance to do something? Because I thought honestly they had enough to at least be a consistent maybe a couple of years of making the playoffs and then you never know you, when you get in in baseball maybe they would have been that one year where they got hot and you know even if they weren't the best team on paper still within that season league-wide but we've seen it tons of times where it, it's the hot team not not necessarily the best team so it would have been all, all the would have been's and that's definitely one of the big ones from from the baseball standpoint yeah, he would have been a free agent after the 2018 season. 2016 was his first year in arbitration. And it's just that perpetual what if, even if he didn't stay with the Marlins. And again, you have a chance for a playoff run 2017 and see what happens in 18. Even if he doesn't stay long term and the Marlins front office knows they're not going to be able to, to keep him. Imagine what you could have done if they were out of the running in 2018 and you come across July and find a way to trade Jose and get, imagine the get a ton prospects of a you would have gotten. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there was that factor of it too. And again, it still feels so weird saying this when he's not here anymore, but on that logistical yeah. side of it, it, it was one less avenue that they could have done for trying to stop what ultimately ended up happening when they had to basically mm-hmm. start back from square one. He could have even ended up with one of his Marlin, one of the one of that one member of that core, and him could have even ended up on the same team somewhere else too. If you yeah. think about it, I mean, he, I mean, I'm sure the Yankees wanted him. You know, the Red Sox. There was chatter even at the All Star game. There was the Boston reporter that even asked him if if the Red Sox were trying to get him or interested or something like that. So there were there were seeds already then of people thinking. You know, when when this kid gets to that, maybe two years from now, is he going to, you know, and, and, and really is in a point where he, he would get paid what's going to happen with him. So, again, a lot, a lot of layers of what ifs. Yeah, a lot of layers of that. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back for the second half, uh, this last road trip, I had a chance to talk with Miguel Rojas again, the last player left from that 2016 team just about his memories from his time with Jose, his time in 2016, all that, and just watching the change unfold over the last five years 
So I'm going to let, we're going to talk with Miguel and on the second half and just let him explain from the player perspective on just everything that's happened between then and now. So on that note, we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. And like I said, right before we took that break, uh, Miguel Rojas, now the de facto team captain on this Marlins team. Again, the last guy who was here from 2016, went through the rebuild, went through everything that has happened since Jose, was with Jose on the roster for two years. Uh, He was pretty candid and open with me about a week and a half ago when we talked up in Atlanta during the Marlins, one of the Marlins' last road trips. Uh, I'm just going to let the audio play and let Miguel give his perspective on just everything from his time with Jose, the day that everything happened, and just where he sees the Marlins organization as they try to continue to go through everything five years later. So with that, here is uh, Miguel Rojas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, no, I remember a guy that uh, energy can light up the room. Uh, I feel like the first time that I, I get to meet was uh, uh, before spring training. The Marlins always do the um, fan fest, and I got an opportunity to uh, spend a couple of days with Jose. The way that he received me, you know, like I'm from Venezuela. He, uh, he came from Cuba. Uh, we speak the same language, so... Uh, I mean, it was really nice to see a guy like Jose, a face of a franchise at the moment, you know. Uh, uh, great pitcher, but not just a great pitcher, a, a, a great uh, baseball player overall, being a really good person off the field too, like to greeting his teammates when they come to a new team, you know, like make me feel part of the team right away just because, uh, you know, like Latin community always like receiving Latin players. So. Uh, for me, uh, Jose was huge, and, and then I got to see how good he was just from his bullpens in spring training to uh, the times that he was starting in spring training. You can see all the people right in, in Roger Dean Stadium, right next to the bullpen right there. Just for him to, every time he bounced a ball, he got it back, he gave it to a kid. And uh, just for the people to experience that, uh, and, and for me as a, as a part of his team, as a teammate, watching him go about his business and all the impact that he got on people. That's uh, that's what I remember the most about, uh, like Jose, the person. Anything specific about his routine or his stuff in the clubhouse that sort of rubbed up on you as you transitioned later on into leadership role that you have now? Or Well, the, the, the thing that I remember the most about Jose was uh, he wasn't just a just, uh, starting pitcher, you know. He got this like weird thing that he wanted to be better than everybody else at hitting uh, like fielding, chugging balls in, in the outfield and you can ask everybody and you see like when he he was the best pitching on uh, hitting pitching in our, in, our, in our team and he could have been one of the best like maybe pinch hitters that we had I remember 
actually we're here in Atlanta right now in the old uh, third field. He uh, he came up off the bench in inning eleven or something like that, and he hit a like a go ahead a double off the bench. And I I remember that that, that that's the kind of stuff Jose can do. You know, it's, he was more than just a, a, a starting pitcher. He wanted to be better than everybody else on on everything on a car game on 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 like hitting BP. He was always challenging himself of like. Oh, I want to hit a home run to center field today. Watch this, you know. And that's that's the energy that he brought every single day to the to the ballpark and the joy that he played and he practiced the game every single day, trying to be the best. You know? Yeah, I think I remember him saying when you guys were hosting the All-Star, I mean, he wanted a pitcher's All-Star, a pitcher's home run derby. Yeah. And yep. I still remember a couple. Of, I I interned that 2016 year. I remember seeing a little bit, a little bit of him, not much, but right. yeah. Um, when that happened, September 25th, 2016, how did you find out and just what was your reaction when you got the news? I woke up in the morning and um, I'm, I'm checking my phone. I, I, I seen so many random text messages in the morning, you know, Sunday morning, 8 a.m. in the morning. You like, I'm, I'm not like used to get uh, so many notifications on my phone and uh, I went on, into Twitter and I, I read the news. And I couldn't believe it, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, I checked uh, our, our ex-travel director, Miami Colon, he sent a, a text message saying that the game was suspended. Then I started, I started thinking about it, and, and it kinda, I was kind of in shock until I got to the bopper, and uh, I think the, the wake-up call it was at the bopper when I see everybody sitting and, uh, in the clubhouse. And, Nobody was like thinking about baseball or anything. Everybody was thinking about what what just happened, you know. And and that morning was kind of tough. And and it's still like, to this time it's still hard to uh, to think about that. I couldn't say bye to him, you know. And 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 that's how that's how life sometimes is, you know. Like sometimes you have to uh, take a, take advantage of every little opportunity with your teammates, with your friends, with your family, with the people that you love, because. Uh, I mean, that moment, uh, life took away one of my best friends in baseball, you know? And, uh, I mean, who knows uh, what life got together for us and, and, and in, a, in a couple of years. But uh, uh, that morning was, like, really tough. And uh, uh, until this time, I can't really put into words, like, how, how bad I felt and, and how bad the situation was for the whole organization. Yeah. The day after you guys hit the game, D hits that leadoff home run. Just you guys huddling around the mound before, and just the emotions of honoring him the, the next game, and just trying to rally your guys, your guys self around to play a game after everything happened. Yeah, a lot of emotions that day, especially because uh, I mean, a lot of people see what happened on the field and uh, what happened with like the guys who actually cry during the game or whatever. But the the thing about the emotions was like. I wasn't playing that game and I was on the bench. And then I see a guy go down the tunnel and break break down, down, down there. Then you see a guy all of a sudden, you see another guy on the bench breaking down. Like, it was like moments for everybody to just like, I mean, feel it and, and leave that, that, that you still have to play the game, you still have to be a professional. But at the end of the day, you're still dealing with something that is bigger than, than just the game, you know? And uh, thinking about him, thinking about his family, and uh, just playing that game right there with uh, with the Jose jersey, and we won the game. I remember Stanton after the game, he actually 
uh, flip his, his the jersey around and the Fernandez was on his chest and I start crying as soon as I see that. Then we round on the mound and, and we left our hats there. Then we came back to the, to the clubhouse. It was like, I mean, nobody wants to like actually be there because of, you know, like, I mean, we remember his corner, the locker that I'm sitting right now. I always gonna sit there while I'm here, uh, remember him, and and trying to like let everybody know who Jose was in this organization. So for me, it was like a emotional day, but it wasn't just what happened in the field, but. Uh, off the field as well, it was emotional for everybody. Yeah, you're still using his locker. Yeah, yeah. Still what does that mean to you that you're the guy who has that, or how did that come about that you you end up moving over? Well, the the locker was closed. Well, it wasn't closed. It was like yeah. intact. Yeah. With a with a yeah, it was like a, mem- like a memorial, a, exactly a memorial yeah. kind of thing for a year. So after that year, they left it open, and then uh, after that, the clubhouse manager came to me and say, hey. Uh, I'm gonna reopen uh, Jose's locker, and uh, I wanna ask you if you uh, if you're willing to take it because I mean you're the guy he, who's been here for a long time, you know, pretty close to Jose. Uh, we started the transition, like we left, we let go a lot of our our old players. So I feel the necessity of like keeping his legacy alive, especially in the clubhouse, who he was, the way that he. Uh, the, the way that he was treated by the clubs, by the people in the stands, by the fans, by the community in Miami, his family, everybody. So I just want to make sure that I, I represent what he uh, what he left, and and I I gonna be just uh, calling Jose's locker for the rest of my of my career. It's not my locker, it's Jose's locker, and I know. <laughs> I mean, I I could have told you that. Okay, I mean, all the credit uh, in in. Whatever I'm doing, it's not just to me. It's, it's because of like a lot of people's been putting work around me, and I think uh, Jose from above is, is is looking up to me too. And I know I, I wear his belt every single day, the belt that he gave me uh, before he passed, and uh, I wear that belt every single day. And I, I stay on his locker, so I, I keep up a, a piece of Jose in my, in my life. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned keeping his legs up. You're the last guy from that 2016 team that's still here. Uh, just from that time, just how have you seen this team change, evolve, for better or for worse, since in the five years since? No, a, a lot of a lot of changes, and and from that moment that uh, that happened, uh, the organization changed right away. You know, like. Uh, uh, a lot of changes happened so quick. Uh, yeah, we're still trying to compete after that happened, but uh, it was going to be really hard to just lose your your best player, you know, in the face of the franchise and your your ace at the moment. And uh, I feel like uh, I've been I've been in like two different uh, group of uh, people in the front office, happy that, that the place that we, this organization is at this point right now. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I will never forget about like both organizations, both both sides of the organizations were great, and I I just gonna be happy forever to cherish those uh, those moments and those times that uh, we accomplish a lot and we overcome a lot of adversity. So I'm happy and and proud that, that I was part of that. All right, and once again, I just want to thank uh, Miggy for taking the time. I know it was tough to talk about, but I really appreciate the open openness, the honesty, and just his, his canter, like just about like always, whenever we talk with Miggy.
I'll say, I'll say it 17,000 times. I've said it 17,000 times, and I'll say it 17,000 more if I, if, I, if I can again. Miggy's a class act, and we always appreciate it. Yep, and he'll be with the Marlins at least one more year. His contract, his option for the 2022 season became guaranteed when he had his 500th play appearance this last series against the Pirates. So Miggy Rowe will be back in Miami in 2022. And with that, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please check out our the work that's going to be dropping on Wednesday on, at MiamiHerald.com and in the print, pack, print section. And with that, we'll be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>